Keep calm and carry on. That's what we keep thinking about as Taiwan and the world continue to battle COVID-19. I'm Andrew Ryan. I'm Nellie So. Let's first take a look at the stories on our radar this week. This week on the radar, 242 of the 247 who were evacuated from Wuhan were released from quarantine on Tuesday. Of the remaining five evacuees, one is confirmed to have contracted COVID-19, while the other four have been hospitalized. Taiwan currently has 24 confirmed cases of COVID-19. Globally, there are 75,696 confirmed cases and 2,162 deaths. Premier Su Zhenzang says he expects Taiwan to produce 10 million face masks a day by early March. The cabinet has expedited the establishment of 60 face mask production lines. Su says Taiwan will soon be the second largest face mask producer in the world. The cabinet has passed a statute authorizing a special budget to help businesses impacted by COVID-19. Premier Su Zhenzang urged the legislature to pass the statute swiftly to assist Taiwan's industries struggling through the COVID-19 outbreak. The cabinet is expected to propose a $2 billion U.S. dollar special budget to alleviate pressure on the local tourism industry. Taiwan's first fatality from COVID-19 was a 61-year-old taxi driver who had hepatitis B and diabetes. The man had not traveled abroad recently, but did, however, service clients from Hong Kong, China, and Macau. This week in Taiwan, we saw our first fatality case from COVID-19. However, authorities are reassuring the public that this does not mean that the outbreak is taking a turn for the worse in Taiwan. Taiwan's first COVID-19 death was a taxi driver who had not traveled overseas nor come in contact with Taiwan's 18 confirmed cases. Does that mean the virus has spread in the community? Health Minister Chen Zidong explains. Community spread means that there is continuous spread of the virus within a community. This case is considered a sporadic one. The people that the man came in contact with, especially medical workers, have all tested negative. The fatality is an example of local transmission, but four conditions need to be met before the term community spread can be used. A confirmed case with an uncertain source of infection. Locally infected cases far outnumber imported cases. A continuous spread of the virus and widespread cluster infections. Officials are still investigating the source of infection for Taiwan's first fatality. But they say the other three conditions have not been met. If community spread does occur, schools may need to suspend classes. CDC official Zhang Sangchun explains. If there is community spread of a virus, we may treat it like Enterovirus 71. If more than one student in a class has been infected, we would consider suspending classes to keep it from spreading to other students. Officials say the patient who succumbed to COVID-19 on Sunday is an individual case. They're encouraging the public to stay calm and remember that there's no need for most healthy people to wear a face mask. Another cause for concern this week came from the Western Dam cruise ship. After many ports in Asia refused to let it dock over fears of COVID-19, Kaohsiung welcomed the ship on February 4th. Eventually, Cambodia allowed the passengers to disembark, but it was later discovered that one of the passengers on the boat had COVID-19. And now that's raised concerns in Kaohsiung. A bus driver uses rubbing alcohol to wipe his vehicle down from top to bottom. From the seats to the handles and even the doors, he's not taking any chances. 
On February 4th, the Westerdam cruise ship docked in Kaohsiung Harbor. It was later revealed that a Westerdam passenger contracted COVID-19, the novel coronavirus at the heart of an outbreak originating in China. Kaohsiung city officials have so far identified 10 bus drivers and 44 taxi drivers that have come in contact with Westerdam passengers, and they are still searching for more. Andrew, I don't know about you, but all this talk about COVID-19 is really draining. It is. You know, I find myself like every morning checking the latest tolls. Oh, gosh. Every night before I go to bed checking the tolls. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So there is a reason why there is anxiety over COVID-19. It's actually the perfect storm. And that's the topic of today's Taiwan Explained. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you why there's so much anxiety over COVID-19. All right, Nellie, we have a minute on the clock. Are you ready? Yes. All right, go. First, let's talk about what anxiety is. Christian Grillen of the National Institute of Mental Health says anxiety is worrying about something in the future that may or may not happen. So how does COVID-19 play in on our anxieties? Well, just this week, the New York Times described how coronavirus hits all the hot buttons for how we misjudge risk. There are reasons we take mental shortcuts in assessing risk and instead react emotionally to COVID-19. One is that we're always seeing bad news. More and more victims every day, even young doctors are dying, and then there are cluster infections on cruise ships. Our brains also tend to focus on new threats like COVID-19 rather than the common flu, which is a lot easier to get and even die from. But perhaps the greatest reason COVID-19 leads to anxiety is all the unknowns. We are anxious when we feel a lack of control. And we're still asking, how does it spread? How is it cured? Are China's numbers real? How quickly will it spread? And will it hit us? All right. Perfect timing Thank there. You. Now, one of the things you talked about is you're saying that it's much easier to get uh, flu and to even die from flu. What you're saying is, is that a lot more people die from the flu every year. That's true. Yeah. But there is still a concern about uh, COVID-19, right? Right. I mean, we should be concerned, and especially the government should be concerned, and they are, and they are working to contain it. It's not mm -hmm. like we shouldn't be concerned. But I think there's a lot more anxiety than is due. Mm -hmm. For example, we have about two dozen cases. That's like one in a million. Okay. So, so even though the fatality rate is much higher than flu, the chance of us getting COVID-19 is relatively minimal. Right. So what about the average person? Are, should, we, should we worry about it? Well, I think we should stay informed, you know, but not worry about it. Okay. Do what we can do. But if it's a one in a million right now, if we're in Wuhan, I would be more worried than now. Of course. But or if you Taiwan, had a family member or if you had a kind of a history of travel that went to a place where the outbreak is right. more intense. Yeah. I don't think we need to obsess and be so uptight about it as I see a lot of people um, seem to be mm. quite anxious. And that's why people are hoarding things, right? Right. You know, medical supplies. So the most important thing is, is just, you know, keep washing your hands and, uh, you know, keep talking about it. Keep your eye on the news, but don't watch it all the time. Right? Yes. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Nally. And that's today's Taiwan Explained. February 21st is International Mother Language Day. So in honor of that, I want to talk about some of Taiwan's indigenous languages, many of which are endangered. Now, to begin with, there are 16 officially recognized tribes of indigenous people in Taiwan. How many can you name? Not too many. <laughs> <laughs> name a couple. This is not a real a tile, question. Um, a tile, yeah. Ame. Amis, yeah. Amis. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going, Natalie. Oh, you got any more? 
Uh, Punun, you're doing good. And um, Leslie, come on. Oh Puyuma? Nicely right. done. <laughs> I, I take credit for that because I go there often. There you go. Well, uh, I want to show you a map. Uh, this is the Austronesian language family. Now, there are many Austronesian languages which spread across the Pacific from Hawaii to the Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, New Zealand, all the way to the east coast of Africa to Madagascar. And of course, Taiwan is also on this map. You'll see at the top of the map there, that's Taiwan. And many people say that the Austronesian languages spread from Taiwan to the rest of wow. the world. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Yes. So my first question for you, what percentage of the world's population speaks an Austronesian language? Silence fills the studio. Uh, okay, I'll say 10%. 10%, okay. If we're going by like geography, divided by two, 15? 15%, okay. Those are two very interesting guesses. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Way often. We're going to have the answer for you in just a moment. But first, I want to play a short video featuring some of Taiwan's indigenous languages just in time for International Mother Language Day. Have a look. Locasuda! <laughs> Isn't that great? Now you know how to say hello in some of Taiwan's indigenous languages. Now, before the video, I asked you what percentage of the world's population speaks an Austronesian language. Now, Natalie, you said 10%. 10%. Leslie said 15%. Now, let's have a look at the answer. 5%. Wow. 5%. 5%. Yes. Right? So, it may seem like a very small number, but that's actually 386 million people. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that is a lot of people. More than a handful. Now, I want to talk today about one of Taiwan's smallest languages. In other words, has a, one of the fewest numbers of people speaking that language. And that is from a tribe called Hla Alua. I've never heard of that tribe. Can you say it? Hla Alua. Hla Alua. So, I want to tell you, as of January, this tribe had 408 people. Now, I want to ask you, uh, how many speakers of Hla Alua are there left in the world? 408. Oh. Are we assuming all of them are, can speak their native language? We don't know. It'd take a wild guess. Oh. <laughs> let's say, let's say 5,000. Maybe, aren't there people outside Taiwan who speak this? Uh, okay. No? Interesting answer. Okay. 5,000. And you say? I'm going to say 408. You think all the people in the tribe speak it? Yeah. Wow, you guys are very optimistic. Let's have a look at the answer. <laughs> oh, less than 10. Less than 10. Less than serious? 10. So oh, now I have to tell terrible. you, I did say this was an endangered language. It is endangered. So, so you can assume that even the Hla Alwa people don't necessarily speak that language. Oh, no. So there's only a handful of people that speak it. Now in that last picture, I don't know if you saw me in the background there. No. There's a picture of me in the so background fast. there. Um, now, I did go and interview them for a TV show for public television service here in Taiwan. We drove up to their village. I want to show you a picture of our car driving up into the mountains. 
It's a How fancy fun. car. It was fun. fun. And you can see it's really beautiful there. It does look beautiful. Actually, this is one of the areas that was destroyed in a major natural disaster about uh, 10 years or so ago. Um, and they have actually since rebuilt their village. Now, uh, also while I was there, I did learn some of their language. I want to show you a picture of that. Uh, that is an elder there, and he's actually helping me remember how to say a word. He's writing it on my hand. This is Yoren Gui. Uh, so he's actually one of the people that still speaks this language. Now, in honor of International Mother Language Day, I think it's only appropriate for us to play some of the Hla Alua language so that people can hear it. That's our way of honoring this language and helping to preserve it. So let's play a clip of that. Dan. Mama you know, Natalie, I've seen this movie before. The plot twist is Andrew is one of the last <laughs> 10 people that can speak Kla'alua. <laughs> I assure you that I do not speak it. However, I will tell you the word that I had written on my hand was U'raisa. What does that mean? It means thank you. U'raisa. Oh, U'raisa. Uh, you still remember all this. It's great, wow. Andrew. Well, actually, I had to go back and uh, <laughs> look at my photograph of my hand to remember what was on there. Now, um, I, I do want to say uh, that it's, it's great that they are actually making effort to, to preserve this language. And there are a couple of young people who are learning it and passing it along. Now, uh, finally today, I want to show you a map once again of all 16 main languages in Taiwan. Let's have a look at this map. So these are the 16 main languages. This doesn't include the dialects. And of, of course, there are many languages that have already gone extinct. There's about 11 that are already no longer in existence, no longer spoken in Taiwan. Of the remaining 16 indigenous languages, Austronesian languages in Taiwan, how many of them are considered endangered? Oof. Five. Okay, five. Twelve. Twelve. Okay, that's a great guess. Let's have a look at the answer. Seven. Oh, wow, seven, yeah. So seven of them are endangered. Now, I should say that all of them are considered vulnerable. So that means that not everyone in the tribe speaks the language. Uh, of the seven that are endangered, five are critically endangered. This uh -huh. is according to UNESCO. And that means that only a handful of older people, like grandparents, speak it, and many of the rest of the people in the tribe may not even understand it. Oh, no. that's too bad. Yes. So uh, if you get the chance, go and learn some uh, native languages, some mother languages, uh, and you can also help to preserve and pass those languages on for another generation. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk about how Taiwan has been fending off the COVID-19 virus. Now, I'm not talking about quarantine measures or travel restrictions. I'm actually talking about this news article that's been circulating around the internet. Now, in it, the article says Taiwan has been employing the use of cute mascots to spread correct information about COVID-19. And it's very true in Taiwan, like Japan, we love our mascots. There's <laughs> Bravo, the Formosan mm -hmm. Black Bear, Taipei Yay. City's mascot. 
the Kaohsiung Rapid Transit Girls, <laughs> and the Taipei 101 Damper Baby, which is a personified version of the giant metal ball at the top of Taipei 101 that stops vibration from typhoon and earthquakes. And Taiwan doesn't just love Taiwanese mascots, we love mascots from other countries like Hello Kitty. And oh boy, does Taiwan love Hello Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Anyway, where does COVID-19 come in all of this? Well, the Health and Welfare Ministry is the one spearheading this campaign against COVID-19. And in order to fight misinformation, they've been resorting to maybe traditional methods like television ads or radio ads. And they've also been using memes. Now, this one features Health and Welfare Minister Chen Shizong. But you know what? They've gotten smart lately. They've been using one of the, one of the Internet's uh, chief amendments, which is if you want to get people's attentions, you better use a dog. <laughs> now this dog is Zongcai. He's a Shiba Inu, and he'd like to remind you that when you cough or sneeze, please cover your mouth. Now Zongcai is a very interesting name for this dog because in Chinese, Zongcai might mean chairman or director general or president or any high corporate office. Cai is what we call a Shiba Inu or the breed of the dog. And he's yeah. just so adorable, isn't he? he? Is. Wait, that's the health minister, that's right? That's the health minister. We're talking about the... this, though. <laughs> well, check this out. This meme is very interesting. There's many layers to it. Let's delve in. It says, wash your hands with soap and water, and make sure you don't touch your nose, your face, or your eyes. And, uh, you know, that's the health and welfare minister just saying, this is a good message. And in behind him, lurking ominously in the background, is Zong Tsai saying, you better do it. <laughs> <laughs> now, in Taiwan, we have something called Zangbeitu, which roughly translates into boomer meme. It often features big <laughs> pixelated images and big text and has some advice. Andrew? You're, you're saying these are the things that people send around in line groups, like, and it's usually your parents that send them to you? I get them from that my generation. dad. Yeah. It's no big deal. I'm sure there are equivalents in other countries. Boomer memes. Boomer memes. <laughs> Enter the lesson of the Liao pick of the week because Song Tsai is on his own boomer meme right here. Do you see? He's got the, you know, he's on the border of this. His face is there. And there's 10 good practice mantras for you during this uh, trying time. Actually, I should say there are nine. Uh, it looks like 10. But look at the big pixelated picture of the flower in the background and the, you know, kind of the tacky blue outline text. That's basically the essence of a Zangbei Tu or a boomer meme. And <laughs> let's delve into the nine sayings, the good practice sayings that they have. All right, number one, thank first-line medical professionals. Thank you. Number two, idea. don't spread misinformation. Mm -hmm. Number three, remember, no one wants to get sick or in this case, get sick willingly. Mm. Number four, do not be prejudiced against the ill. Mm, that's good. Number five, do not antagonize. Number six, leave alcohol wipes to those who need them. And in the same vein, number seven, leave face masks to those who need them. Number eight, wash your hands with soap. And number nine, avoid touching the eyes, mouth, and nose. Now, this is just one of so many memes featuring this adorable dog right here. And if you want to know more, I'll leave a link to the Health and Welfare Ministry's uh, Facebook fan page where you can find so much more. I bet there's even more since I wrote this. <laughs> great, great PSA from him, right? All mm. we need to know, basically, so for COVID-19. So right. cute. How we love dogs yeah. and cats and everything. Yeah. All right, well, that is our hashtag Taiwan for the week.
We hope you enjoyed this inside look at Taiwan this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Leave a comment below for Taiwan Insider. I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao, and I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I am Natalie So. Taiwan is still on high alert for COVID-19. We have 24 confirmed cases, and we also saw our first fatality this week. Let's hear the report about the first COVID-19 death in Taiwan. Taiwan's first COVID-19 death was a taxi driver who had hepatitis B and diabetes. He had not traveled nor come in contact with Taiwan's 18 other cases. Does that mean the virus has spread in the community? Health Minister Chen Shizong explains. Community spread means that there is continuous spread of the virus within a community. This case is considered a sporadic one. The people that the man came in contact with, especially medical workers, have all tested negative. The fatality is an example of local transmission, but four conditions need to be met before the term community spread can be used. A confirmed case with an uncertain source of infection. Locally infected cases far outnumber imported cases. A continuous spread of the virus and widespread cluster infections. Officials are still investigating the source of infection for Taiwan's first fatality, but they say the other three conditions have not been met, so this case does not indicate a community spread. If community spread does occur, schools may need to suspend classes. CDC official Zhang Sangchun explains. If there is community spread of a virus, we may treat it like enterovirus 71. If more than one student in a class has been infected, we would consider suspending classes to keep it from spreading to other students. Officials say the patient who succumbed to COVID-19 on Sunday is an individual case. They're encouraging the public to stay calm and remember that there's no need for most healthy people to wear a face mask. So as you might imagine, with the first death in Taiwan from COVID-19, there is more anxiety and concern, especially since the driver never traveled overseas. It is an example of a local transmission, but the public is still concerned that the disease may spread throughout the community. Now today we have with us to answer some questions about the spread of contagious diseases is Mr. Wang Renshen. He is the honorary chairman of the National Disease Prevention Association in Taiwan. He tells us first how he would define this first fatality. Before we define how someone was infected, we need to think about why we need to do so. There are different categories of infection sources. One is that someone was infected overseas and has returned to Taiwan. There is also local transmission, which means they caught the virus in Taiwan. And if they caught it at a hospital, it's hospital transmission. So what's the point of these definitions? This affects our prevention methods. If the infection is from abroad, our prevention methods are simpler. We need to prevent the virus from coming in and spreading. If it was spread through the community and there is a problem in the community that caused it, whether in the environment or in someone's behavior, then we need to make changes to the community. We do this for the flu in schools. We have a three-to-two rule. If two students have been infected within three days in one class, then we suspend that class. 
If someone was infected in a hospital, then the hospital needs to make some changes. Wang tells us what this fatality means for Taiwan. Let's talk about the patient who just died on Sunday. We do know, though, that this is a local transmission. But there's a difference between local transmission and community spread of diseases. Community spread would include more cluster infections. Now, this local transmission is a warning that there is a problem we need to address. What it means is that we need more prevention of transmission at the community level. We need to act to help prevent more cases from spreading. We need to do that now before it spreads throughout the community and gets out of hand. Now, many people in Taiwan have been buying face masks and wearing them every day, everywhere they go. That's one way that people are taking prevention into their own hands. We also asked Mr. Wong what needs to be done on the community level. Now we need to do more prevention on the community level. What we have been doing is on the government and national level to test and try to keep the virus from coming in. What we didn't do right is to tell people to buy face masks. We didn't tell officials to wear masks. We told the general public, but once they can't buy masks, there's a major problem. So that message was not well executed. Mr. Wong did not totally agree with the message of having the public all go out and buy face masks. What does he suggest people do? The most important principle we need to remember is to prevent ourselves from being in any contact with the virus. For example, if you come in physical contact with anyone, you need to wash your hands or wear gloves. For respiratory diseases, this could mean wearing a mask. But can we wear a mask all the time? We can't. But now, a lot of healthy people are wearing masks. Does that make sense? We need the sick people to wear them. So we need to identify the sick people and have them wear masks. There are all kinds of viruses spreading around the world, including influenza. So this is a whole different strategy. We need to find the sick people and have them wear masks. We are not the ones who need to wear masks. So the point is, and the WHO also has the same principle, is that anyone with a fever or respiratory symptoms needs to put on a mask. They should know to do this themselves. This is the principle we need to teach everyone, because we can't check everyone. If someone has symptoms, they should put on a face mask. We should be doing this all the time, and hospitals should also promote this message. People need to wear masks when they have respiratory symptoms. And if they want to sneeze, they should sneeze in their elbow or at least their hands. Mr. Wang also has additional suggestions on how to upgrade prevention of the spread of COVID-19. Now that we have this fatality, we have to upgrade our prevention methods. Initially, we told those with symptoms to put on a mask. Now we have to mandate those with a fever or respiratory symptoms to wear a mask. We need to do this for all enclosed spaces. But if we're out in open spaces, like walking on the street, you don't need to wear a mask unless you have symptoms. But we can now upgrade to making people wear masks if they have symptoms. So we can take people's temperatures before they go indoors. So we need to upgrade the monitoring in our public transportation vehicles, government agencies, and other places. So Wang is saying that not everyone needs to wear a mask. But in Taiwan, a lot of people are wearing masks. A lot of healthy people are wearing masks everywhere they go, even in the great outdoors. 
We asked Wang if we tell people don't wear masks, how do you alleviate their anxiety? This is a global problem. Taiwan has actually done pretty well in how it educates the public. We don't need to force people to accept our thoughts, or there may be some backlash. But I think that the Taiwanese have pretty good morals. In China, if someone is told to stay home, they need soldiers to watch them to make sure they don't leave the home. The Taiwanese don't need that. So I must say that people in Taiwan are pretty good in this respect. So what we do now is promote a public message of what people need to do. But in certain venues, we need to have close monitoring. Hospitals are an example. People need to get their temperatures checked before they can go in the hospital. If you have symptoms, you need to wear a mask. Or hospitals or some places can require everyone to wear a mask. So each venue has to figure out what they need to do to upgrade prevention. We can't just rely on suggesting people to do something. We need plans. This is especially true since COVID-19 can be caught when people have no symptoms. But it is still not necessary for everyone to wear masks. We are hearing from the honorary chairman of the National Disease Prevention Association of the Republic of China, Mr. Wang Renxian, and we will hear more about what he thinks of schools reopening next week and also what he thinks of some of the myths that people believe here in Taiwan about COVID-19. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. You're listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. We're hearing from an expert on contagious diseases, the honorary chairman of the National Disease Prevention Association of the Republic of China, Mr. Wang Renxian. Now, the coronavirus came out around Chinese New Year, where students across Taiwan of all ages were home for the holidays. And because of fear of the virus, the Ministry of Education decided to close schools for another two weeks. Schools are now getting ready to go back to school for the second semester next week. But Mr. Wong gives us his perspectives on schools and infections. It depends on the disease. Enterovirus is an example. It is easily spread through schools, and when it does, we do close schools down to keep it from spreading. Influenza also gets spread easily when school starts. When students catch it, they give it to their parents, who then spread it through workplaces. So extending the winter break was perhaps the right thing to do because schools are a very potent place for contagious diseases. Let's look now at the coronavirus. Are schools the major venue where it is spread? No. Most of the cases are in China. There are hardly any children with the virus in China. So for this virus, I don't think it's necessary to suspend schools. So you need to look at each disease individually. I actually didn't think it was necessary to do it for COVID-19. That's because there were no cases in schools. Now, what are students going to do who have to take the college entrance exam? What if it gets worse? Do we need to close schools again? 
Now, all the news and anxiety about COVID-19 has left people wondering what they should do, and they're hearing all kinds of messages. One of them is that they should avoid public spaces or crowded spaces. This is what Mr. Wong had to say about that. Well, there is some truth to that, but it doesn't apply to everyone. Can everyone avoid public spaces? You probably should avoid crowded places. And those who are sick or who have symptoms should definitely avoid them. If sick people avoid them, other people can actually go to public spaces. And some people are wondering if they should go to restaurants and eat there anymore. Well, this definitely applies to sick people. It's the same as venturing into public places. Those who have symptoms should avoid restaurants. And some people are saying that washing your hands is the most important thing you can do to prevent getting diseases. This is what Mr. Wang had to say. Washing your hands is very important, but it's not the most important. The most important thing you need to protect is your respiratory tract, since it's a respiratory disease. You need to avoid coming in contact with sick people. And some people have been saying that if you go on the bus or the metro, you should make sure to sit in the front. So these are considered public spaces. Why do people want to sit in the front? Because there's wind. If you are able to open the window, that's the best thing you can do on public transportation. But if someone is sick, they shouldn't go on public transportation. This is also a message we are trying to get across. If you really need to take it, try to open a window or put on a mask. And some people are saying that you shouldn't eat raw foods like sushi or a medium rare steak. This has nothing to do with the coronavirus. That was the honorary chairman of the National Disease Prevention Association of Taiwan, Wang Renxian, giving us his thoughts and insights on how we should work as a nation and as individuals to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. John Van Trieste and the destination Beitou, 1916. It's a Saturday morning in Taipei's Beitou district, and a lively crowd has gathered in a park. 
Welcome back, says a master of ceremonies, after a marching band finishes tuning up. It has been a long time. In the crowd, there's every kind of person you can imagine. An African drumming circle has shown up, and so has a TV crew and a few Mormon missionaries. There are sausage vendors and people handing out flyers and people with balloons. And then, with a final word from the MC, the welcome back ceremony is underway with twirling dragon dancers. It's an impressive, colorful scene. But what's everyone here for? The answer is the small lumber building at the center of the gathering. A row of circular windows peeks out ornamentally from its copper-tiled roof. The sloped roof hangs low over the edges of the building, and the triangular wooden supports holding it up are carved with flowers. Exactly 101 years ago today, this building opened as the Shinbeitou train station. It's charming, quaint, compared with the huge hotel complexes here, even squat. But these proud hotels should remember that it was this tiny station that helped launch their careers, linking downtown Taipei with this natural spa land in its backyard. For people in this part of town, the station is also linked with memories of the culture, the entertainment, and the late night jaunts centered around the station. Memories that still give the name Beitou a glow of nostalgia. This week, we're joining the crowd for a look back at the station's past, the story of its rise and decline, how it went away, and how now it's come back. People had long come to Beitou in search of sulfur, something you can smell in the air in some places around here. But as far as we know, the idea that people might bathe in the springs this sulfur came from only seems to have bubbled up after 1895. That year, Taiwan was colonized by Japan, a nation of hot spring lovers whose love of a good bath remains one of their big contributions to Taiwan's culture today. The year after the takeover, a Japanese man called Hirata Gengo opened Beitou's first hot spring hotel. Others followed, and over the decades, a resort town began to take shape. By 1913, a public bathhouse joined the private ones that had sprung up here in Beitou. To encourage hot spring tourism, the railway added a branch line out here, and in 1916, the Shinbeitou Station opened. It's built in a hybrid Western-Japanese-style popular at the time. Inside the station, you can see a postcard showing how things looked early on. The building was even smaller then than it is now, more like a pavilion than a proper station. It looks like waiting for a train here might have involved a bit of a squeeze. The text on this undated postcard says proudly that tourism to Beitou has grown. And as more hotels opened up, it did. Get into the 20s and 30s, and a wave of Japanese tourism to Taiwan made Beitou a must-visit spot. Even if you don't read Japanese, you can always spot Beitou on artistic souvenir maps of the time, where it appears as curls of steam against the mountains. During these years, there was a song written about Beitou, and pressed into a scratchy vinyl album. And of course, no collection of the souvenir ink stamps scattered at tourist sites across Taiwan would ever be complete without a visit to Beitou. The station, built to attract more visitors, had done its job. And now it was overloaded. In 1937, builders had to put on an extension that increased the area by a third. This was Beitou's first golden age 
a time of luxurious bathing, fine dining, and trains that ran once every half hour. The age wouldn't last, but the station would survive into a period that most older locals today remember even more fondly. World War II brought an end to 50 years of Japanese colonization. The train line here shut down in 1945 for lack of materials, but it reopened the following year under the new Republic of China government. Through headphones in the station today, you can hear Beitou natives discuss sweet memories of this time. One person remembers playing hooky from school here, another coming here and waiting for their aunt to get off work. Alongside these personal memories was a bigger picture, a cultural flowering of sorts centered on Beitou. Among the hot springs, directors found a ready-made romantic set for movies just north of downtown Taipei. Musicians found a niche here too, entertaining at the area's hotels, restaurants, and bars. Their bands even developed their own Japanese-flavored style of music that has become a symbol of this era. True, not everything that went on here was terribly highbrow. Beitou did have a seedy side. But that's not the story of Beitou, as told by those who were growing up here at the time. For them, it was all about daily life and the tiny wooden station at the center of it. No matter what you came here to do, the reliable station would make sure you got where you needed to go. Hard times hit the station, though, around 1979 as traffic dwindled, something a sign inside the station says was connected to a law closing the area's red light district. But the area was already in decline. The bands had been hit by the rise of the karaoke machine, and the classic black-and-white films that had brought a tinge of melodrama to the place were already a memory. Still, the now old-fashioned wooden station held on until 1988. That year, the whole train line this station branched off of was going to shut down. Inside the station, archival footage follows the route of one of the last blue diesel locomotives to run out this way. At the same time, early work on Taipei's yet-unbuilt metro system was going to encroach on this site. The whole building might have gotten the axe had it not been for architect Li Zhongyue, who saw something worth saving here. Li convinced the Taiwan Folk Village in central Taiwan to take it. The whole station was dutifully taken apart, hauled close to 200 kilometers to the south, and rebuilt there. Locals may have been sad to see it go, but they were sure it was gone for good. Until 2003, when a Beitou native visited the folk village and sensed that the station was lonely. Back home, he set up a committee to get the station back and was immediately laughed at. Told that the park wasn't selling, he even planned at one point to build a replica himself. But in the end, he didn't have to because while it took time, his proposal had struck a chord. Inside the station, you can almost feel it just by looking at the number of old tickets now on display inside. So many people had felt the need to hold on to them. People from Beitou went down south to visit like it was an old friend. And in 2007, they started a fund to raise money for their project. As the movement grew, 
The station's new owners finally recognized in 2013 how important the building was, and they agreed to donate it. But then there was the big project of taking it apart, hauling it back, and reassembling it again. It would take a few more years, and the donations banner with stick-on numbers is still outside. But at a site close to the original one, next to the metro stop with the same name, the old wooden Xinbeitou train station has come back. And the people of Beitou have put on a party for a building. Guests of honor later in the day will include a 100-year-old and a 101-year-old, both still walking around and appearing before a building that's seen as much as they have. There will be a parade with a color guard and concerts of the old music the bands once played here. And on the sidelines, a hundred years on, today's hot spring hotels and restaurants are handing out flyers at a furious rate. This building helped create a time and an image that's still stuck in the Taiwanese imagination. Old Beitou. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. RTI news, programs, pictures, and more online at english.rti.org.tw. Check it out. Check it out. This is Taiwan Explained, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Today's Taiwan Explain. I'm going to tell you why there's so much anxiety over COVID-19. All right, Nally, we have a minute on the clock. Are you ready? Yes. All right, go. First, let's talk about what anxiety is. Christian Grillen of the National Institute of Mental Health says anxiety is worrying about something in the future that may or may not happen. So how does COVID-19 play in on our anxieties? Well, just this week, the New York Times described how coronavirus hits all the hot buttons for how we misjudge risk. There are reasons we take mental shortcuts in assessing risk and instead react emotionally to COVID-19. One is that we're always seeing bad news, more and more victims every day, even young doctors are dying, and then there are cluster infections on cruise ships. Our brains also tend to focus on new threats like COVID-19 rather than the common flu, which is a lot easier to get and even die from. But perhaps the greatest reason COVID-19 leads to anxiety is all the unknowns. We are anxious when we feel a lack of control. And we're still asking, how does it spread? How is it cured? Are China's numbers real? How quickly will it spread? And will it hit us? All right. Perfect timing Thank there. You. Now, one of the things you talked about is you're saying that it's much easier to get uh, flu and to even die from the flu. What you're saying is, is that a lot more people die from the flu every year. That's true. Yeah. But there is still a concern about uh, COVID-19, right? Right. I mean, we should be concerned, and especially the government should be concerned, and they are, and they are working to contain it. It's not mm -hmm. like we shouldn't be concerned. But I think there's a lot more anxiety than is due. Mm -hmm. For example, we have about two dozen cases. That's like one in a million. Okay. So, so even though the fatality rate is much higher than flu, the chance of us getting COVID-19 is relatively minimal. Right. So what about the average person? Are, should, we, should we worry about it? Well, I think we should stay informed, you know, but not worry about it. Okay. Do what we can do. 
But if it's a one in a million right now, if we're in Wuhan, I would be more worried than now. Of course, but or if you Taiwan, had a family member, or if you had a kind of a history of travel that went to a place where the outbreak is right. more intense. Yeah. I don't think we need to obsess and be so uptight about it, as I see a lot of people um, seem to be mm. quite anxious. And that's why people are hoarding things, right? Right. You know, medical supplies. So the most important thing is, is just you know, keep washing your hands and uh, you know, keep talking about it. Keep your eye on the news, but don't watch it all the time. Right? Yes. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Natalie. And that's today's Taiwan Explain. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.